Let's pray together once again. Father in heaven, we turn our attention now to your holy and perfect word. Lord, we ask that you would speak in spite of the weaknesses of the speaker. Lord, we pray that you would talk to us this morning from your word. The Holy Spirit, you would lead us, that you would guide us. Lord, that those this morning, those of us who need to be convicted and challenged, we, we ask that you would do that through your word. God, for those of us this morning who need to be encouraged or comforted, that's also possible through you, Holy Spirit, working through the reading and the teaching and the proclamation of your holy word. So God, this morning we depend wholly on you because you are worthy and you are able. We ask that you would move among us this morning and teach us. We ask all this in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope that you do, take it and turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. We're continuing our sermon series as we go through each one of the various I am statements, the metaphors that Jesus gives about who he is and what his mission was and is. And so this morning we find ourselves in John chapter 10. If you don't have your own Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you um, would like to keep one of those as, as your own, feel free to take that as our gift to you, especially if you don't have your own copy of God's Word at home. But regardless of whether you're accessing the Word of the Lord in print or digitally, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. As we look together now in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, I'll read verses 1 through 10 for us. When I've completed this reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. If you are grateful for it, I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's look together now at John Chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are spending this season of Lent, a season of 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday, looking at the I Am statements that Jesus gave us. 
Throughout the book of John, Jesus makes this statement, I am, more than seven times, but seven specific times he says, I am, in the way that is inexcusably, inextricably tied to what God says to Moses in Exodus 3.14. God tells Moses, I am that I am. He says, the name that you are to tell the Israelites is the name, I am. And so that is the name that Moses goes to the Israelites and confronts Pharaoh with. It was so sacred that the Israelites, as they continued to write down the words and pass along the scrolls, they would mark through the name and sometimes even cut it out of the text because there was such reverence for this word. And if the word was left in the text, remember we talked about this on that first week, if the word was left in the text, they put little signals in the text so that they would read and say out loud, Lord. And that's why often in our Bibles, when it's the actual name of God, we find Lord written in all caps. What you have is extreme reverence for the name of God, and there's no way to deny, there's no doubt about it, that when Jesus makes these statements, he is saying that he is God. Later on in chapter 10, it's going to come from the very lips of those who are ready to stone him once again. You remember we talked about in John chapter 8 how he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him because they understood he was claiming to be the same as God. He was claiming to be God. The same thing will happen in chapter 10 later on. They'll pick up stones to kill Jesus and they'll say, you have equated yourself with God and that is blasphemy to them. Little did they know that Jesus was speaking the truth. It wasn't blasphemy because it was true. He is God. So he says, I am, to clearly reveal to everyone in his audience that he and the Father are one. Later in the Gospel of John, he says those very words. I and the Father are one. We don't worship a God. We don't worship one of many gods. We're not seeking to become God like Jesus is. He's not a son of God. He is God. We have one God. We are monotheistic. We do not believe in three gods. We have one God. He is one being expressed in three persons. I'll never understand how that works until I get to heaven. Scripture tells us that's how it works. Because right now we see through a mirror dimly. We see like we're looking through a dark room. But then when we are face to face with the Lord, we will know fully just as we are fully known. And the Trinity is one of those things that we can make up any analogy, any metaphor that we want to try and wrap our minds around it. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is fully God and fully the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, simultaneously. I don't know how you take 100% and put 100% more in it, but that's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. That's why these I am statements are so important and why it's important to look at them leading up to Easter. But it's not just that Jesus said, I am. He added these metaphors after each one. And so we've already looked at I am the bread of life from John chapter 6. We already looked at I am the light of the world from John chapter 8. This morning we're looking at I am the door of the sheep. Next week we'll be looking at I am the good shepherd. And then I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. 
In every one of these metaphors, he's revealing something else about the character and nature of who he is. And because he is God, it's also revealing the character and nature of who God is. God is our daily bread. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the manna that came down in the wilderness. Jesus is the light of the world. There is a spiritual darkness that has encompassed this whole world, this whole universe, ever since Genesis chapter 3. Ever since we as humanity rebelled against God, there has been a sin problem that has cursed each and every one of us and the very ground, the very earth that we live upon. And so there is darkness over the face of the earth. And so Jesus has come to be that light. And so you look through these and they're all powerful statements. They're all amazing. The bread of life, the light of the world, right? Those are great The good shepherd. What a wonderful analogy. What a wonderful metaphor. He's a shepherd. He leads his sheep. The resurrection and the life. These sound like movie titles, right? These should be the title of a great movie. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. You see the vine growing and stretching along the branch. But i got to be honest with you all. When you read through these and you read about the door, it's just not quite as exciting, is it? I am the door. Yeah. Right, my Jesus is the, the, the door, the light I get, the bread, the, the resurrect, but the, the, like a door, like, I mean, like we don't think about these doors. You don't think, how often do you think about a door? When it creaks, when it squeaks, when it makes noise, when it won't open. Otherwise, you don't think about a door. You don't think about does this area need a door or not need a door. Sometimes there's pocket doors. There's a pocket door in our house right now. And I think for a long time, I just thought that that particular bathroom didn't have a door, which I thought was a really odd design to just not put a door in front of a bathroom. But it turns out the door was hidden inside the wall the whole time. Are you aware of this? You can hide doors in walls. You can have barn doors. If you have watched any HGTV HGT, yeah, or DIY network or any of that. Right now, all the craze is a barn door. If you ain't got a barn door in your house, and let me tell you, you is behind the times. You gotta have the door on the outside on the sliders, and you gotta close it like a big old barn door. That's, that's what we do. We gotta put barn doors everywhere. The only time we think about doors is when we decide they need to change. When they're not open. When they need to open. And Jesus is the door. And we ought to think about him being the door because if we are to inherit the kingdom of God, if we are to live in paradise with him, we're going to really need that door to open. So let's look at what Jesus means when he says he is the door. So he's talking about sheep. This is where this whole conversation stays. And really, in verse 11, where we're going next week, the next verse is where Jesus says he is the good shepherd. This whole chapter, it carries this sheep analogy. And so when he talks about being the door of the sheep, he's talking about a sheep fold. And for us, I don't know about you guys, but I've never had to use a sheep fold. A sheep fold was a very simple thing. There were two primary types. All the shepherds would, when they needed to come into town and they needed to spend time with their family or do any of their errands, there would be a sheepfold somewhere in town, usually between two buildings. They'd put a fence and there'd be a paid person, maybe with the shepherd's guild or something like that, who was the door watcher, the gate keeper, who would make sure that nobody came into the sheepfold except for the shepherds who dropped off their sheep. 
In a lot of ways, it's like a valet system. You drive your nice expensive car up to the restaurant, you get out, you trust some young teenager to drive your very nice car and go park it while we do this. Still don't quite understand. We're perfectly capable of parking ourselves, but it's supposed to be a luxury to let some young man or woman drive our cars however they want to, do whatever they want with them, and go park for us. And then you come back later, you give them the other half of the ticket, and they bring you your car back, hopefully with no dents or dings or scratches or anything on it. Hopefully it's your car. The same thing was true with the gatekeeper and the sheepfold. In the city, on the outskirts of the city, numerous families, numerous shepherds would all bring their sheep to the sheepfold. And so what it talks about when Jesus says that they hear my voice and they know who I am, this type of sheepfold was absolutely essential for shepherds to have such a relationship with their sheep that the sheep knew them by voice. Today, if you were to go to market and buy a bunch of sheep, You know what they do? They take spray paint and they spray symbols on the sheep in different colors. So you know who the sheep belongs to, then you know who bought it. That's the only way for them to keep up with the sheep. Most of the time there's a hired shepherd who looks after the sheep, but they have several flocks that they have to look after in their shepherd profession. And a lot of times they'll leave those sheep on their own. So today in modern shepherding, modern ways of keeping up with sheep, They always make marks. But if this was your family and you come up to the the sheepfold and you need your sheep back, you didn't mark them before you took them in there. And so the only way for you to know whose sheep are your sheep is for you to call to those sheep. And those sheep would know that shepherd's voice so intimately that even if they took them to a place to get water, even if they're there at the watering hole and all the sheep are intermingled getting a drink, each shepherd can call their sheep and they will go to them and to this day in the middle east who people among who among people who are still shepherds by profession that's still how it works they can all be intermingled at the watering hole and old john or bob or whoever can be over here and call for their sheep and their sheep will separate from every other sheep and come to them So at the sheepfold, you go and you tell the gatekeeper, hey, I'm here for my sheep. And the gatekeeper doesn't have a ticket like a valet. He doesn't have something that he says, oh, okay, here, here, you get get the sheeps with the blue coats. No, that's not how it works. He says, okay, well, if you really are a shepherd, call your sheep. And so the shepherd would call out to the sheep, and the sheep would come to the shepherd. But as Jesus explains this, it's still beyond them. Did you notice that they still miss this metaphor completely? So in verse 7, he says, so Jesus said again to them, he changes the metaphor. I am the actual door. I'm the door of the sheep. It's not just that anybody else who comes is a thief or a robber. It's that he is the actual door. Well, how does that make sense? Well, because you got to remember they didn't have sheepfolds just in the city when the sheep were out at pasture they could use a cave they could stack rocks to make a fence they could do whatever they needed to do to create a temporary enclosement but it was really hard to make a door so you know what the shepherd would do the shepherd would stand at the only opening at the only entrance so that the sheep did not get out and since there was no door usually the shepherd would prop himself or herself up right there in that opening and sleep there all night long So there was no sheep that could get out unless they went through the shepherd. 
The shepherd in that instance became the door. So when Jesus says he is the door, he's not talking about one of these doors. He's talking about the door to the sheepfold. If you're going to make it in to get some of his flock, you got to go through him. I can remember numerous times playing football where there would be so many defensive people lined up against me. At the, at the end of when I got to play football, I got to be on defense. And that's where the real fun is. If you play offense in football, I'm sorry, it's, it's okay. If you're on the offensive line, you're necessary, but it's not necessarily fun. If you're on defense, you're getting to have fun. I mean, like, there's a guy with a ball, you got to tackle him. That's the side of the ball you want to be on, right? But I remember over and over again, these defensive linemen, when I was a guard or when I was a center, they would look at me and they'd go, I'm taking your quarterback down, man. It's just straight up out of the movies. They thought they were so cool. They thought they were so bad. They'd be like, you ain't getting in my way. I'm getting to that quarterback. I'd be like, you got to go through me first. And, you know, I was a little ninth grader, a little eighth grader. I thought I was somebody. I was like, yeah, man, I'm defending my quarterback. They ain't getting through me. That's what Jesus does for us. I mean, I know it's comical when we're talking about football, but seriously, the enemy... The thief, the robber, whoever it may be that comes to snatch you away from the Lord. Jesus stands as the door. And if you are his sheep and he lets you in, then they ain't getting in after you. Jesus is the door. He is the gatekeeper. Jesus is the one who determines which are his sheep that make it in. Jesus is the one who determines who is a sheep and who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus is the one who makes sure that there's no thief or no robber who tries to sneak in some other way. He stands watch at the door and becomes the door itself. And so there's a lot that ties into this. First and foremost, it it is that Jesus is, what we will say later, the only way, the only truth, the only life. He's the door. If you want to be a part of the flock, of which Jesus is the shepherd. There's no other way to get there than through Jesus. You can't come to me and me go to Jesus for you and say, man, Jesus, I just really know this man. I just really know this woman. And they are such good people. Can you please let them in? Doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't move like that. You can't say, but, but listen, Jesus, my mom and my dad and my brother, my sister, my cousin, my auntie, my uncle, everybody I know is in the sheepfold. you got to let me in. They can vouch for me. They're back there. They're sheep. They're not the door. Jesus is the door. He's the only one who can let you in and let you out. Jesus is the door. You know, I, I think... That what happens to us a lot of times is that we get confused and we think the way that Jesus is the light and then we are the light, as we talked about last week, Jesus is the light of the world. And then in Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. When we trust in Jesus, when we call upon him, his light becomes our light and we shine the light. Sometimes I think we think the door works the same way and we think that we are the door. I've got to be honest with you, folks. You're not the door. I'm not the door. There are so many people that come and sit in this congregation week in and week out. But you know what? You could be doing that for all the wrong reasons. 
And you could be trying to force the door open by your attendance, by following rituals, by reading every day, by checking off the checklist and working your way through. And you build up this pharisaical attitude of legalism and you're here every time the doors are open because that's what you're supposed to do. But you've never gotten in the door. And a lot of us like to think that we are the door. And we're letting people in and out of the sheepfold, but that's not what Scripture says. The metaphor that Jesus uses is very specific. He is the door. If you want to be a part of His flock, you've got to go through Him. Parents, I I know what the, the stress, I know what the pain, I know what the frustration, I know what the heartache is when you're ready and you're hoping that your child will come to know Jesus and you you don't know, are they ready? Are they not ready? But I just got to remind us, myself included, I can't force that door open and I can't force my kids through that door. As much as I want them to go, they've got to go to the door and they've got to submit and let the door open them. And I think sometimes we do a lot of things hoping and wishing, and then when our hoping and wishing doesn't come to fruition, we begin to force and to enforce. And you will be here, and you will do this, and this will happen because I'm not going to eternity without you. But as much as we try, every person has to go through the door on their own. It is an individual thing. It is not for me to decide who goes through the door and who does not. Now, does that mean I'm not going to do everything in my power to make sure that my kids and my family and everybody that I know and everybody that I love has the opportunity to open that door? You better believe it. If it costs my life, that's what my life is dedicated to, to making sure others know where the door is, know who the door is, and know how to become part of the flock. That's what real Christians we are trying to do. But we can never open the door for them. You can take them to the water. You can shove their head under the water. But they still have the choice to drown rather than drink the water. The Lord has to work in their heart. The Lord has to draw them and call them. And they have to respond to His call. And they have to show up. And they have to request entry through the door. And I just want to remind us, you're not the door. I'm not the door. I'm not the door for my family. I'm also not the door for somebody else. You know so-and-so, there's no way they could be a Christian. There's no way that they have a relationship with the Lord. There's no way that they've been through the door. Because I've seen that they... You, did you know they use this kind of language? Did you know that they say certain things? Did you know their tongue is loose? Did you know they will gossip? Did you know they will slander? Did you know I saw them at the idle hour the other day? There ain't no way that that person's gone through the door. Because I've seen the sin in their life. Sorry, folks. You don't know their heart, and I don't know their heart. God alone knows their heart. God alone knows their story and knows their struggle and knows where they stand. Just like somebody sitting here week in and week out may not have ever been through the door, there could be somebody who's never been in here and whose life from the outside looks like a serious struggle with Christ, and they've been through the door. And it's not our place to be the door. It's not our place to be judgmental and try and figure out who's been through the door and who hasn't. It's our place to take people to the door and show them how easy it is for the door to be opened. Listen, it's not that 
Jesus is the light and we are the light. The same way that it's Jesus is the door and we are the door. But Jesus is the door and is also knocking at the door. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19. Jesus is the light. He allows us to be the light. Jesus is the door, but he also stands and knocks at the door. Verse 19 in chapter 3 of Revelation. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Before we move on, I just want to remind you. Somebody that we look at that in our estimation hasn't been through that door, hasn't been to the door of Jesus, could be right in the middle of being reproved and disciplined by God. They could be right smack dab in the middle of God giving them a spanking, a scolding, a reprimand. We have no way to know. We have no way to judge. When we see people, we see them in a moment. We may come to a finished project and watch somebody put down a hammer and walk away from what was just built. But they didn't do an ounce of construction. They just found a loose hammer on the job site and were dropping it off. And the architect and those constructing the building have already been long gone. But we only saw a moment in time, and so we didn't see who really did the building. We just assumed because we saw somebody with a hammer in their hand. Somebody could be in the middle of reproof and discipline. If you have walked through the door and you are in the middle of God's reproof and God's discipline, let me urge you this morning, repent and turn back to the Lord. Not so that people won't judge you, but so that you will be in a right standing with the Lord. Jesus knocks at the door, asking for repentance, demanding repentance. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, the Lord stands at the door and he knocks. And don't misunderstand this verse. This knocking is not the knocking of somebody who you don't know. I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is how our society works today. When we hear a knock at the door, we go get our gun because we're not expecting anybody. And who's that showing up at my door? We don't know what's going on. It frightens us. It scares us. Everybody retreats. Turn out the lights. Maybe they won't see that we're here. It might already be too late. We might have to go. And if I look through their peephole, and if I, is my car outside in the driveway? Mm, I don't know. We don't get excited when somebody knocks at the door. Or even if we, like, they knock on the screen door and we see who it is, the house is a mess. Okay, you stall them for a minute. Let me clean up and before we invite them in. It's never a, a pleasant surprise when there's an unexpected knock at the door. That's not the knock at the door that Jesus is talking about in Revelation 3. He is knocking at the door as the master who is returning home. He is knocking at the door as the master, as the one who created you, who created your heart, who created me, who created my heart, who is the rightful owner, creator, designer, and implementer of our very existence. And so he shows up not as an uninvited guest, but as the master of the house, knocking and expecting for his servants to respond quickly. 
Because then when he goes in, he has fellowship. He sits down at the table. He's expecting to go in and the table to be ready for him, the master of the house. So folks, know this. The Lord is knocking. But we have options, right? And what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to be like another example that we see in Scripture. One of my favorite stories, this sweet lady named Rhoda. Turn with me to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, there's an incredible thing that happens. Um, There's a tragic thing that happens followed by an incredible thing. James, the brother of John, is executed. And then John and Peter are thrown in prison. Peter specifically is locked up and about to be executed as well. And so in John chapter 12, we have this story of how while Jesus is in, while Peter is in prison, Jesus sends angels, messengers to release him from prison. And Peter is so tired and so groggy that he thinks he's having a dream about these angels unlocking his shackles, opening the doors, walking him out and bringing him into the street. And then we pick up in verse 11. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So the guy that wrote the book of Mark, John Mark, went with Barnabas and Paul on some of their missionary journeys. That's this guy at his mom's house is where Peter's going, where many were gathered together and were praying. They were specifically praying for Peter's release. In verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Sweet little Rhoda. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's just some angel, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So, imagine if you will, Peter is in prison, about to be executed. He is an inmate on death row whose execution is scheduled for the morning. And he is under severe lock and key, hard watch. They're not letting him get anywhere. And angels show up and bust Peter out of there. And so when Peter finally comes to himself and realizes these angels are the ones that let him out, he decides, I'm going to go to John Mark's mama's house named Mary. As if we needed another Mary in Scripture to keep straight. It was just a very popular name, I know. But he's at Mary's house. Not the other Mary or the other Mary, but John Mark's mom, Mary, okay? He goes to Mary's house and he's at the gate and he's like... Hey, guys, it's Peter. Let me in. And Rhoda's there and like, did you say Peter? Yeah, Rhoda, it's Peter. Let me in. Oh, oh my gosh, it's Peter. It's Peter. I got to go tell everybody. Guys, 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 you'll never believe this. Peter's at the door. Rhoda, you've lost your mind. We're in here praying that God will do something to rescue Peter. Peter's not at the door. She's like, you're not going to believe me. But I'm telling you, Peter is at the door. All the while, poor Peter in perfect silence back at the gates going, guys, guys. Rhoda, sweetie, Rhoda, I know you're excited. It is me. Could you, somebody, (laughs) hey, they're looking for me. Hello. And finally they go let him in. 
And then after they let him in, for some reason, he doesn't stay. I guess it wasn't that dangerous. He wasn't scared. He just moved on to the next place. But I just love this scene in which she's so excited. She leaves and forgets to let him in. But see, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door for the sheep. If you want to be a sheep, he's knocking at the door. Don't be like Rhoda and forget to let him in. Don't be like Rhoda and maybe even get excited that Jesus passed you by, but not let him in. And when I say let him in, I don't mean just say some silly prayer. I don't mean just repeat some words. I don't mean just invite him in for dinner one time. I mean ask to be his sheep. Ask him to be your shepherd. Give him your life and trust him in the highs in the lows when life makes perfect sense when life seems as senseless as it could possibly be trust the door he hasn't let somebody into the flock that doesn't belong trust the door he will let whoever comes to him and submits themselves to him into the flock trust the door he knocks at the door Don't be like Rhoda and forget to let him in. Don't forget you're not the door. I'm not the door. He is the door. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the door for the sheep. And we thank you that you call your sheep and your sheep know your voice. Father, we love you so much. We thank you that you are willing to open the door for us. God, forgive us when we take being the door into our own hands. Forgive us where we get judgmental. Forgive us where we try and act like we're in charge. Because you're the door. You're the one who opens. You're the one who closes. Father, you are God and we are not. Help us to rest in that and celebrate, knowing that it's better in your hands than it would ever be in ours. Lord, if there's anybody here who hasn't opened that door, I pray that you would pound your way in this morning. Don't let them leave here or or change off of this broadcast without coming to you and asking you to be their shepherd giving their life, their well-being over to you and to your care. Father, we love you and we ask that in these moments, as we take time to respond to the movement of your spirit, that you would be with us and that you would help us to respond in obedience. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.